Hi, I'm Ricardo Alfaro, Chair of Agenda Alexander. And I'm Michael Pope. We are at ALX Community, and we are very excited to welcome a guest to talk about who runs the city, how the city manager's office works. We are joined by Frank Shafroth, the former director of George Mason University's Center for State and Local Leadership. He also worked for Arlington. He worked for the National League of Cities. He worked for the National Governors Association. He spent some time in Congress. Um, and we are pleased to welcome Frank Shafroth. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. So let's start with the job of the city manager. So I think a lot of people make the assumption that the mayor runs Alexandria, but that's not really the case at all. It's the city manager who's actually in charge of the city and has been going all the way back to the 1920s when uh, there was a special election and the voters of Alexandria actually decided that they wanted to have professional leadership at, at, in charge of the city. What was going on at that time period in the early 1920s when America's coming out of World War I, um, uh, Virginia and Alexandria are emerging from the pandemic of that era um, and saying to themselves, is this, is this the best that government can do? What um, Describe the kind of good government movement that was going on in the early 1920s that led to the creation of the city manager's job here in Alexandria. Well, I don't know the specifics, but I, I do know that you needed someone, in effect, to create an agenda and someone who was not regarded as being biased, associated with one political party, but someone who could help create a mechanism so decisions could be made. Um, you know, I know, for instance, when I worked for Arlington County, one of the things we went through every year was going through a process with all the elected officials, what are the most important issues that the board should address this year? So th that was a role for staff, for a city manager to say, to, in effect, to help facilitate prioritizing what government ought to do. Actually, that brings up a, an interesting, because one of the conversations, you actually sat down with uh, the outgoing city manager um, earlier in the year, and we had another podcast. And by the way, for those who have not heard it yet, please go to Apple uh, Podcasts to, or Spotify to take a listen. Um, how has that evolved um, over the years? Um, is it still, because we're talking now about what's the role, and obviously you've just pointed out in terms of prioritizing, has that always been the case? How has it evolved over the years? And I'm just curious to know what's the difference in terms of, for example, like Arlington and, and Alexandria, knowing as well that our outgoing city manager was also in, in Arlington. Well, that's true. Um, I think how it's evolved as it's, remember, the, the vast majority of elected local officials are part-time. They have a full-time job. They're a part-time elected official. So a lot of them are, are burning a lot of midnight oil. So I think there was that growing recognition. They needed a professional to say, you need to help us set an agenda. Give us a work plan. We'll make the decisions, but you will help frame the issues that are important to um, turn the aspirations of the different members, elected officials, into reality. So, in effect, early on, one of the responsibilities or tasks for a manager was to help frame an agenda so votes could be taken 
to pick a direction going forward. So it's not just the operation of the county or the city, but where do we want to be 10 years from now? And what are the policies and actions the board or the council will need to take to make that possible? Which, of course, is a broad agenda because it includes how we're going to pay for it. What's our capital budget going to be? What's our operating budget going to be? How are we going to raise the revenues to do that? Hard, hard decisions. So over the last 100 years, since the job of the city manager was created in 1921, uh, the first city manager was actually appointed in 1922. So um, over the last 100 years, there have been 18 city managers. Um, that's, so that creates a very small period of time per city manager. So there are a few outliers who were around for long periods of time. I'm thinking Vola Lawson, uh, even Mark Jinks. Those are the outliers. Most of the city managers of Alexandria have been short-term people climbing the professional ladder, spending a few years in Alexandria and setting themselves up for other places. I'm thinking about Rashad Young, who, of course, was in Alexandria a brief period of time and then went to D.C. Um, is that what, when we look out across city managers, county managers, professionals who do this line of work, is that the norm, the sort of professional climbers? I, th I think it is, because you're going to start, right, when you come out of college or you come out of grad school, you're not going to get hired to be a city manager of a large city or a large county. So you need to start somewhere. And if it's governance that really interests you, you're probably going to start with a city or a county. And right away you're going to realize, well, this is sort of interesting, but, you know, I do it a different way. So I want to get somewhere where I can make it go in a way that I think will be more effective. So I think that's where it comes from. And it's interesting when I work for Arlington County, because my job involved going to each of the nine floors every day and visiting every single staff person. What are you working on? What might you need from the Commonwealth of Virginia? What do you need from the federal government? But it meant I, in a sense, had a better sense of what was going on than anyone else. And I also talked to each of the board members, staff people every day. So I kind of knew what was in everyone's head. My job was to translate that in terms of then helping them prioritize what do you ask for from the Commonwealth of Virginia, what do you ask for from Congress. But I realized no one else really was doing that. And that was really, in effect, that's what the council or the board has to do. They have to figure out, okay, we got all these constituents, we got all these special interests, what do they want? How do we prioritize it? Uh, and in the back of their minds, of course, is when's the next re-election? If I do this, does it mean I'm not going to get re-elected? You can never, you know, you can never give up that part of it. So there are times when I could see they understood what the right decision was in terms of good government, but it might cost them in the next election. And then, and then you could really see. And it was, it was always funny to me because I remember Barbara Favola once asked me, she said, do you know what the vote's going to be? I said, council member, I know what the vote's going to be. But not a single member on the board knows what the outcome of the vote's going to be. Why? Because as part of my job, I spent time with each of their staff every day. And so I knew what the 
board member had told them his or her vote was going to be. <laughs> but they never, the board members never talked to each other. So they never knew on close votes what it was going to be. And I always knew beforehand it was this weird thing. But So it's that fascinating contrast between politics and governance. When you have a manager sometimes, a strong manager, that manager, who, if that manager is really good, knows what it's going to be. They know, they know the outcome of the vote and they can figure out, okay, well, what do I do with this? If it's really, in my judgment, a bad thing, is there anything I can do about it? If not, what am I going to do as a result of it? So it's, it's that contrast and that's, I think, it's the hardest part about being a manager. I, I think that it's, it's fascinating that you bring that specific topic up because one of the things that, uh, that happens here in the city is that there's a lot of constitutional offices that are also elected uh, positions that, that go and are in a ballot. Um, and typically, like other jurisdictions, uh, maybe outside of Virginia, uh, for example, in my case, I come from Puerto Rico, there are a lot of uh, positions that are not elected that, that are appointed. But you're, you're describing a very delicate dance between that, that priority from elected officials between, from, from positions that are not elected. How, how do you see that, that going a little bit more in depth, but specifically to the role of the city manager from that perspective of elected versus appointed? Because um, you're, you're making really the case of, of that that position should never be elected um, because of, of the competing priorities and the political ramifications that that may bring. So talk to me a little, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know like your, your thoughts on that appointed or hired by versus elected. Well, the appointed, I think the appointed person, she or he who has real integrity um, will say, here's what is in the best interests of the future of this county or this city. And it might not be politically the one that would help you get reelected because it might involve raising taxes. And I have yet to find a citizen who says, I want to vote for you because I know you raise my taxes, right? <laughs> they, they all want something. They want lower taxes and more services. So that's that. How do you deal with aspirations versus reality? Um, how do you... How do you go through the process of figuring out if you can afford to do seven out of ten priorities that your board has noted to you? How do you get? How do you figure what those are? Very hard. Um, how do you facilitate problem solving? I think one of the most difficult challenges is. Staff always wants to make sure the elected officials feel ownership in the outcome, whether they win or lose, because you need them to stand together at the end. And that's difficult. We all know when you're on the losing side, it's easier to throw a bottle at someone than it is to figure out, okay, let's make the best of that. And so for the manager, that's what the challenge is after every vote. 
I think the, the good manager is going to meet with the losers and say, how do you feel? What would you like to do with regard to this? How can we temper it? Um, because I think at the end you want a feeling that each member of a board or a council has some ownership in the future of that municipality or that county. Mm-hmm. So that is a, a a past manager in Alexandria said, governing a governing body, turning a governing body's aspirations into reality is the single most important challenge for a city manager or a county manager. Which city manager was that you're talking about? Uh, That happens to be Mr. Jinks. Okay. I'm glad you brought up Mark Jinks. So far we've been talking about things in a kind of an abstract academic way. Let's talk about actual people and how they actually operate in the real world. I want to talk about three examples. Ron Carley in Arlington, Mm -hmm. Mark Jinks here in Alexandria, and Gladys Spellman out in Prince George's County. Um, so here we are in Alexandria. Let's start with Mark Jinks. You worked with Mark Jinks way back from his Arlington days, right? Um, give us an insight into the Mark Jinks leadership style. Uh, the Mark Jinks leadership style is he was someone I found I could call basically any day of the week, any hour of the day, if I had an urgent issue affecting the city of Alexandria. So I had, think of, think of a funny thing. I had a morning, I remember, when it was below zero, and the staff had not opened Chinkapin, and I had 18 freezing master swimmers waiting outside because we couldn't get in. There was no one at the Department of Recreation at that hour. I called the city manager, Mark Jinks. Four minutes later, the facility was open, and all my swimmers were in, and the water temperature was <laughs> enough to warm them up. So I find that a good manager is in an absolutely horrible position that she or he is on duty 24 hours a day. There are going to be very nasty people. That person, though, is like a magician. She or he is able to anticipate to deal with great grace under fire because there's always going to be fire. I would say probably, what, 70% of the people that are unhappy in a city or a county with what's going on, if they can get a hold of the manager, are not going to be polite and saying, why did you do this? Um, Knowing and anticipating what's going to arise. One of the one of the most remarkable things I found uh, about Ron Carley in Arlington is once a week he would take all of us and the staff and we would march through a neighborhood. And the idea was to go through and any person from the neighborhood could come out and say, what about this, what about that, what about this? Arlington has a lot of neighborhoods too. I mean, yes. even compared to Alexandria, oh, yes. I would say twice as many neighborhoods right. as Alexandria. Well, that's why it was once a week. But it was to say, this is your government. We don't tell you what to do. We respond to you. So, but we can't respond if we don't know what's important to you, what matters, what we're doing wrong, what we're doing right. And, and of course, there, were, there was never full consensus. But the appreciation that they're actually coming out trying to make sure they understand 
what matters, what's on their minds, and have ideas is what I think made a big difference. That, that Because the general consensus of most Americans, I think, is government. <laughs> government is this big thing, and it's slow, it's unresponsive, it doesn't mm-hmm. care what we think, it doesn't care what we want. So Ron's idea, we're going to go out, and we're going to say, we want to know what you want. We want to, you know, we want to move in the direction you want to move. So we, you need to help us understand. Um, and I think it had a, of course, a, a motion behind it, which is, if people hear each other talking and realize how difficult it is to reach resolution between them, even talking to us, they'll realize the challenge for a council in governing. <laughs> It's not like there's a right or a wrong answer. There are thousands of answers, and they each have complications. So the job we have is very hard. So we're going to reach out to the best of our abilities to try and come up with something that makes a positive difference, but help you understand that that's not easy. And no matter what we do, not everyone's going to be happy or satisfied with what we do. I think (laughs) one of my best days was... I sat right outside where the um, county manager's office was, and my job was to protect the the person who was there really to deal with complaints. Her name was Dorothy, and Dorothy was probably, I don't know, 80, 81. She was the sweetest. I think they put her there because she was the sweetest person in the world. You, You can't imagine someone getting mad at her, although people, of course, did. So it was one of those early frost days, and I heard a scream, so I quickly ran out to protect Dorothy. A woman had come in, and she had collected gravel spread on the street because mm-hmm. there had been a snowstorm that day, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, she collected the gravel and threw it on the floor in front of Dorothy because she was angry that they had put gravel on the street. So sometimes I, I think of elected officials and think, so... so if I were elected and one of my constituents came in and said, I want you to fire the person because they threw gravel on the street after a bad ice storm in front of my house, you just think, you know, sometimes it's best not to be an elected official because there's not a good happy answer that's going to make them happy. I mean, for me it's interesting because all the examples that you've given so far, one way or another requires citizen education in a way to understand the different roles. Most of the time, the example that you were giving of of Mark Jenks and the pool, typically you would go out there and it's likely that from several citizens are going to tell you, well, the mayor uh, would be the go-to person to call and and have that happen. And it's likely that if that call happens – what the mayor is going to do is that he's going to turn around and call Mark Jinks. That's right. And it's, it's if you can get a hold of the mayor. Right. Exactly. And that, so I think in a way, and then all the other examples of just going to the street and, and listening to, to the citizens that in a way is also kind of educating the citizens as to who actually runs the city uh, and who, who runs it. I'm just curious to, to, to given all these examples, um, what is that, that 
because you the, the last example is kind of yeah a, a, a disgruntled uh, citizen coming in and and throwing gravel. What is I'm just curious as to what is that that understanding or lack thereof from the citizen part as to the role um, with all these examples like uh, the your your experience and and just maybe even just anecdotes on citizens thinking that I should go to the elected official instead of going to the city manager. I, I think most citizens think of government as sort of this big blob. So they're not really sure who, who do I call. All I know is I'm angry and upset. The, the roads are closed. My kids aren't going to school because there's snow or whatever it is. So they want someone to call and yell at. First, they want to yell. Then maybe second, maybe they want it fixed. They're not sure how to get it fixed, but they they need to get it off their mind, and they need to figure out who can fix it and how do I get them to fix it. Two different issues, right? Who and <laughs> will it make any difference if I make that call? So the good manager will figure some way where that call is acted upon and there's a response. Hard to do, right, especially on a icy cold day when schools and things are closed, but those are the days the good manager says, right, it says at 2 in the morning, it looks like there's going to be a bad, bad storm. We need to get, be ready right away, and we need to let people know ASAP what's going to be happening and what what they can do and what they can't do. I'm curious about your time with Gladys Spellman in Prince George's County. Uh, When you were there, they were actually examining whether or not they wanted to have a county manager, right? So this is like kind of an existential crisis almost for the county government. Talk a little bit about what went into the thinking of when governments in Prince George's County and elsewhere look at themselves and they say, is this really how we want to run our government? When I first, you know, when I first met Mrs. Spellman, um, Prince George's County had a, a board. They did not have a manager. Um, they met once a month in Crystal City. Frank Francois would Prince eat. Prince George's County, Maryland, met in Crystal City, Alexandria. Or yep. Arlington. Yep. Hmm. Um, they would have lunch. Frank Francois would probably eat almost all the food for all the members. (laughs) But they wanted to keep him happy. But it was a session with no staff, right? And the idea was to sort of clear the decks a little bit, let people get things off their minds. But it also, so it created a a relationship and enabled them to get business done. So... I never detected, as different as their districts were, as different as their political positions on issues were, it was this once a month to say, okay, we got to make a decision. And it's best if we make it mutually and we make it in great trust with each other. So a hard part of at any level of government is, is there a way to create trust so that you can reach decisions on issues where there are substantial differences and there are political risks that the decision you make is going to cost someone her or his position in office. 
So I thought that was a really neat thing to learn about it. <laughs> An interesting place they chose to do that, but they felt it was that important. And at least in my experience, it worked. What were they eating? Uh, well, Frank Francois was eating enough for all of them. And he always ate all the, he, he made sure they always ordered dessert. He always ate all the desserts. Smart man. Yeah. <laughs> smart man and a big man. But he was a smart man. So I want to go kind of like full circle. Yeah. And, I, and I think we're almost five minutes out. Um, just triangulating all these topics. One of the things that we said at the beginning of this conversation was capturing the aspirations of of citizens and this there's like the the dance between the elected official the staff the city manager and then the citizens what as we are now facing the new reality and i and i think every time that i think as to the transformation that for example here in the city of alexandria we're having the fact of the matter that we're now about to have this shift after going through this modern day pandemic. Um, how do you like encapsulate, not just from the complaint side, but more on the long term? Because really it's, it's, it's a delicate dance and it's fascinating to hear all these anecdotes, but how do you, do you capture all the aspirations and at the same time, um, both all pri all competing priorities, and then lay out and through those delicate dances a long term, short, me medium, and long term strategy for the reality of what the city is is or what the jurisdiction is facing. In this case, obviously Alexandria. I'm not, I'm not sure that we made enough good use of the internet yet to reach out and in effect have. Internet town meetings. In other words, I think new technology allows us to uh, do a better job of assessing what's on people's minds. What do they care about? What's most important? What do they really not care about? For the things they care about, what does that care really mean? Does it mean they're willing to actually pony up and pay more in taxes? Are they willing to volunteer to make something happen and contribute not just money but time and effort? I, I don't think we do a good enough job of that now. So well, a lot of us grew up in this thing. Well, government's there. We pay our taxes, so we deserve this. We don't have to do anything else. We just we call and we complain if we don't get it without ever recognizing that if we want something new that isn't currently available – either our taxes are going to go up or something else is going to be eliminated. So we've created this thing that you, you can just, you want it, and you don't have to be responsible for figuring out how to put it into effect, how to pay for it. Um, Mark Jenks said to me, one of the governing, one of the most challenging issues for a governing body is to decide the direction of the city even before the council has an inkling of the direction it should take. Okay? So for the manager, it's sort of like, I got to look in the crystal ball. I got to see where we're headed right now 10 years from now. What, what's really troubling about that? What's really good about that? And how do I reach out to my council members 
and help them own the dream of where we're going to go. I think that's the hardest job for a manager because the manager can't be perceived as I'm telling you what to do. At the end of the day, the manager wants, well, they made a great decision as if I had nothing to do with it. I don't own it. So it's the manager's job to provoke a discussion which is a discussion based upon knowledge and experience and bringing it out from them. Because the second it's the manager's decision as opposed to the board or the council's decision, it's already, I think, infected a little bit. And they won't, the first time there's a problem, they'll say, well, that was the manager's idea. I don't think you want that. I think that's really bad for government. Join Agenda Alexandria Monday, November 22nd, when we're going to have a program called Who Runs the City? It's about how Alexandria is governed. What is the role of the city manager? How does the job work? A little bit of the history of the different city managers who've been in charge in Alexandria. We've got a great panel. We have former city manager Phil Sunderland will be joining us. We have former city councilman David Speck. And we have former city official and board member of Agenda Alexandria, Janet Barnett, who will also be joining our panel. So come down to the George Washington Masonic Memorial, where we will be having our panel discussion at 7 o'clock on Monday, November 22nd. So see you there.